Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. He is in the state of Pennsylvania, unfortunately, and I am in the wonderful state of South Dakota, happily, and uh, so he's joining remotely. It's a lot of L-Y adverbs there. Um, so... Uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about today. I do have a few quick announcements. Well, one big announcement and three of the regular ones. Charity Showdown. Announcements. What's that? Yes. Very important announcements. Yes. Big announcements. Yes. So, TRD Show.net, show website. If you haven't already checked it out, come on. What are you doing? What, what, what's going on? What's going on? Did your phone not work or something? What's happening here? Go to trdshow.net. <laughs> That's the show website. We got all sorts of cool stuff there. Check us out. Um, if you want free merch, like this free mug here, well, this one cost me some money, but uh, the ones that uh, we are going to give to you will also cost us money, but we consider it a goodwill venture because you'll It'll help be us free for show. you. It'll be free for you. not free for us. It'll exactly. be free for you, though. Exactly. Thank you, Jake, for clarifying my ramblings. Um, get a free mug, stickers, t-shirt, all sorts of cool stuff. Go to trdshow.net slash refer to get free stuff. I mean, uh, isn't that isn't that why I'm here to bring you back on track? Yes, yeah. to clear up and translate my ramblings. So yes. thank you for that. <laughs> all right, our show has an email that you can send all of your emails to, so that we read them. Um, trdshow trdshow at protonmail.com. It's up on the screen. Just if you're listening, I apologize. If you're watching, <laughs> you're welcome. It's up on the screen. trdshow at protonmail.com. Send us an email. We want to hear from you. Sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter. Also, is it, yeah. isn't, it, isn't the majority of our audience listeners? Um, than... It's like split. It's like split now because okay. we're on yeah. a lot of other platforms. So if you take all of them together from Rumble and YouTube and Odyssey and Gab TV and all these other places... And then you compare them to the podcast audience. It's like, it's a healthy mix. It's not bad. Um, so, also, special announcement time. Woohoo, here we go. We are going to be at a conference in Knoxville, Tennessee in October. And guess what? You can be there too. And you, you really, really want to be there. Uh, for the reasons I'm about to explain, it is the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. Um... Go to flfnetwork.com slash Knoxville 2022. It's up on screen. Check it out. flfnetwork.com slash Knoxville 2022. You do not want to miss this conference. The Fight Laugh Feast team, who uh, for the past two years has come here to South Dakota, then they also have their Knoxville conference every year in Knoxville, Tennessee. Check it out. Um, we're gonna, there's, there's just a ton of guests there. They're, they have Pastor Doug Wilson, Pastor Toby Sumter, Pastor Jared Longshore, uh, Ben Merkel, Rebecca Merkel, um, all sorts of really, really cool people. You do not want to miss this event. And, uh, specifically we, the Reformed Dissenters are going to be there as well, which is super cool. We're going to have our podcast hosted there for two days. So we'll be recording some of our episodes there. Um, also interviewing some of the special guests like Pastor Wilson, Pastor Sumter, Longshore, a lot of these people hopefully we'll get to interview and you will get to hear from them on our show in addition to hearing from them at the conference itself. You do not want to miss this event. flfnetwork.com slash Knoxville 2022 is where you can go to buy your tickets. Do it today before, you know, stuff gets really expensive. 
all right, like plane tickets and hotels and all of that stuff, because that ain't getting cheaper anytime soon, I'll tell you that much. All right, so today we are, uh, it's Literature Wednesday, so our literature for this month is Mother Kirk by Doug Wilson, Pastor Doug Wilson. We are on chapter three this week, all sorts of really, really fascinating stuff and slightly complicated, so we're going to break some of that down, all sorts of really cool stuff he talked about this week. But before we get into that, we have to talk about our verse of the week, and it's Wednesday, so Jake, take it away. Alrighty, and our verse this week can be can be found in John eighteen thirty seven through thirty eight, um, but for some quick context, Ooh. as Bruce gave on Monday, um, this is a discussion between Pontius Pilate and Jesus, and uh, uh, but for yeah for that overall context, Bruce goes a little bit more specifically about what that context is. Um, I will not, but, um, so go check out Monday's episode if you want to hear a little bit more of the context for it. Um, but again, this is a conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. But again, the, the verse reference, again, is John 18, verses 37 through 38, and it says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are king? Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And again, that is John 18, verses 37 through 38. And my kind of breakdown of this is a, just a tad different from Bruce's. But, Ooh, um, I like that. Yes. Yeah. I like when that happens. <laughs> um, a little bit of a different inflection in how I think it was phrased. Um, but because I, and I look at this at the verse, at the part of the verse where it says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so really there, Christ is saying, everyone who is searching for truth, everybody who is in the truth listens to Christ because he is truth. And so then I think Pilate is then is almost phrasing it as, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What are you claiming truth is again? What is truth? What are you saying is truth? Because I think Jesus is saying, I am truth. Mm. Of course, he's saying it a different way, but he's saying, I am truth. And then Pilate is a little confused. <clears throat> and he's like, wait, you're saying your truth? Hold on, what? <laughs> what is, what are you claiming truth is again? Yeah. Um, it's but, an interesting take. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. But I, um, I think that really brings up a really interesting discussion is, you know, Christ is truth. Right? Mm. And everyone is afraid of that. Everyone is confused by that when we say Christ is truth. And, and then we, we go into presuppositional apologetics asking, you know, what is the ultimate standard? Who is our ultimate authority? Who should we be going for? For truth, yeah, and I think really, our us as Christians, the answer should be Christ. Yeah, right? we cannot serve two masters; we must be serving Christ and Christ mm. alone. He is our foundation of truth. Yeah, so. dude, really good breakdown. Yeah, really good, great points to bring up. Um, yeah, and I, and I like that too. And I and I think both ways of the question get at the same thing that. Right. Christ is the right. way, the way, the truth, and the light. Like, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
which is what Christ was saying, right? So, yeah, when, when Pilate here is saying, what is truth? He's really asking that fundamental question, where do I find truth? You know, right. what, it, it, is the, I mean, this presupposes that there is truth. Where is that? Um, so, and we as Christians obviously know truth is in Christ alone and in, in, in God's word. Um, I think there's a difference <clears throat> when in our questioning here, we, um, in your understanding of it, you say that um, Pilate is naive and is saying, oh, you know, who can know truth? You know, being naive, not thinking that, you know, there's no absolute standard of truth. Whereas what I'm thinking more arrogance than naivety, yeah. but yeah. And I think it would be more of just naive. He's ignorant. He doesn't understand as to, you know, he's saying he's just parroting what the world, what the rest of the culture around him is saying. Yeah. And he's being naive. Whereas what I'm, what I'm thinking that it is, is he's being a little bit more arrogant and is saying, wait a second, you're saying that your truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, no, get out of here. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot more there. And actually, I think it would be good to spend a discussion episode kind of digging into that, into that statement um, and the context around it. Cause I think there's just so much there. I, I wanted to bring this verse up and I was focusing more on the first part, but the second part stood out to me and I was like, Oh, that'd be cool to include, but it wasn't really my main focus. But yeah, I think this, this verse definitely needs some more study and it would be good to look at what, what his original attention actually was. Um, Cause I think, as we're about to discuss, there are two sorts of authority and two sorts of things that we can derive from scripture. One of them is the verbal authority. And what we're seeing here is potentially a breakdown in that verbal authority, because whenever you take it out of the original language it was written in, some of those things get literally lost in translation. It's a common phrase, but it's actually, you know, literally true here. And so I'd be very interested to look at the original translation and see what that was literally referring to if it's clearer in that so very cool well let's get started um talking about chapter three so the main focuses there were like three main focuses in this in this chapter so first you know it's a look into the origins of the bible uh some of the origins in uh, of the bible and then secondly he kind of transitioned into the church's duty to guard the word. And then after that, he moved into some of the issues with modern translations. So obviously this week is very much centered around the Bible, where it came from, how the church relates to it, um, the modern translations, all that sorts of, all that sort of stuff. So let's talk about some of the origins of the Bible. So on page 55, Doug Wilson said, the Bible did not just appear. In the words of the Westminster Confession, the Bible was inspired by God at the initial writing and since that time has been preserved by his singular care and providence, end quote. So I thought that was fascinating to, to bring up is that, yeah, it didn't just appear. God in his providence has... Uh, you know, uh, allowed for a way for us to have this comprehensive book of all that he needs us to know, all that he wants us to know, and everything that we need that to, to do what he's called us to do is in his word. But we can study some of the historical aspects of how he providentially worked through history to give us those six, these 66 books, right? Um, page 55, a little bit of a longer quote, but I thought it was really good to tie in a little bit more of the origins 
as described from Scripture itself. So on page 55, he said the canonical books of the Old Testament are 39 in number. Our Lord referred to this canonical range when he spoke of the death of certain martyrs from the Old Testament. And then he quotes uh, Matthew 23, 35, which says, uh, th this was Christ saying, that upon, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Again, that was Matthew 23, 35. Abel was killed during the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Jewish canon, and Zechariah was killed in 2 Chronicles, which was the last book as they arranged the canon. Christ is referring to all the martyrs throughout scripture from A to Z, end quote. So I, I thought that was really neat how he, he brought that up. A lot of people have brought that up as well, but him describing that this was the canonical, you know, the, these books were canon, right? Which means they built on each other and they continued the same accounts, carrying the same lives of the same sorts of people through history, the same lines and lineages and the same history of, of, of nations and all of those sorts of things building on each other time after time and growing. Um, and, and, and tying that in, I thought it was fascinating. And what's really interesting, he's going to get into a little bit more of this a little bit later on, but he talks about how the Jewish um, uh, faith, the people of faith in, in Israel actually guarded these books and took, and were very careful with them and took very close care of these books. Um, and he gets a little bit more into that in the book, which you should definitely check out if you don't have it already. It's on our Gab page, gab.com slash TRD show, check out and buy your copy of this book. So you can look more into this, but he then likens our modern church to the Jews of that day of Israel and how they guarded the word of God and how our church should be doing more of that today, how we should understand how important that is. So that's actually the next topic I want to get into. But Jake, before I get into that, is there anything that you'd like to uh, add to talking about some of the origins of the Bible up till this point? Um. Well, I mean, it, this is certainly an interesting topic, especially bringing up uh, Catholicism yeah. and how they've added uh, so the they've added, I think, four books. Right, the Apocrypha is an edition of four books. Several, right? yeah. Um, well, and what was interesting was that, at least from what I read, was that a lot of those, if not all of them, were actually books that were during Old Testament era, and the Jews didn't accept them. Like, they didn't hmm. put them in, because the, they guarded it so closely that what they included in the um, Septuagint, in, in the Old Testament, what they included in that were were not those Apocrypha, which, which was really fascinating. It's like they rejected mm -hmm. them for various reasons, and yeah. because they didn't align with Scripture. So I was like, wow, right, that was really right. fascinating. So... Cool. Um, yeah. Sorry. Was that your whole point? No, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, I thought, I think this is very interesting, something to discuss, especially being um, where the books of the Bible comes from, where they, where they come from, their origins and, um, and how and why we can't add more to it, mm. you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we we talked a little bit just now about the apocrypha and how 
Israel, like the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish people at that time didn't put those, <clears throat> excuse me, in their, their, in the books in scripture because they had such a high regard for scripture and they guarded it so closely. And so Doug Wilson was making that comparison and saying the church needs to have the same rigorous uh, idea of, of guarding scripture that, that same way. So on page 55, he said the church is gathered around the word of God and in accordance with the word of God. How the church understands the Bible is therefore a matter of great importance. He moved on on page 57 to say the church is responsible to keep and preserve the same kind of testimony regarding the entire Bible that the church gave in her younger years when Israel had been entrusted with the Old Testament books, end quote. Um, so conveying that, that same sort of thing. We need to have that same zeal for defending the word of God this way um, that they did in the, in the Old Testament when it was entrusted to Israel. Uh, page 57, he kind of adds to this theme, and he says, this witness is not offered by the church as something to think about or as a mere suggestion. The testimony of the church on this point is submissive to scripture, but authori authoritative for the saints. For example, if a minister in a, church, in a Christian church took it upon himself to add a book to the canon of scripture or sought to take away a book, the duty of, the, of his church would be to try him for heresy and remove him immediately. This does not mean the church is defending the word of God. The church is defending her witness to the word, end quote. So I, I thought that was really fascinating to read about. Um, all right. So before I move on to the issues with modern translations, and, and we're going to come back to more on the on the church's duty to guard the word a little bit in a little bit in a few minutes but before i go on to the issues with modern translations is there anything jake that you'd like to to add no <clears throat> okay <Well. laughs> you have any quotes you want to pull in or you'll pull them in later um i can pull them in now um but it's talking about um sort of the authority of tradition Ooh. and okay those those quotes if you would if you would like me to put those in now, I, I certainly can. Yeah, I think that'd be um, great. Yeah. But um, this quote is found on page 70, 67. Sorry. And I didn't have enough time to put them into my document. So I'm <laughs> going to read them directly from the book. Nice. Um, but the first quote is, The elders of a local church, Christian parents bringing up children in fear of the Lord, and convocations of theologians three century, centuries ago are all lawful authorities deputized as such in scripture. Mm. Um, so it's saying that all of these are authorities. And right before that, he says um, that they are subordinate spiritual authorities. Mm. And yeah. I find that very interesting because he's set setting those out, laying those those three um, not specifically those three, but he's saying that, you know, in saying these, the elders of a local church, Christian parents, and um, theologians three centuries ago, he's talking about tradition, right? He's bringing all those in to talk about tradition. And he goes on, still on page uh, 67, saying, they do not do so infallibly, and they are not ultimate, Um and they are not ultimate. God's deacons, God's ministers, are never God's replacements, but they are, in fact, 
his servants. Mm. Yeah. Um, and before that, to give just a tad bit of context, he was saying, they have the authority to teach and make decisions. To which he was then saying, um, but they are, but they do not do so infallibly. He's saying that yes, the tradition is authority, right? Is an authority, and and this is really again going back to the Catholic Church, in that they assume tradition, like they have all these traditions, and they assume that it is an authority, mm. but they assume that it's an ultimate authority. Yeah. Um, but we're assuming that tradition is an authority. But we're also understanding that it's infallible and must be understood with the infallible word of God. Yes. Yep. Great points. Um, yeah. Good to pull those out. And and he actually continues on talking about that specifically, right? The fallibility, infallibility. Um, still on page 67 in saying, a fallible authority is not defined as one that is wrong all the time. Hmm. This is a good thing, as it turns out, for it is the fallible teaching authority of the historic church, which pointed us to the canon of Scripture. Oh, yeah. Yep. As Bruce was, was just mentioning yeah. before. That's um, a really good point. But, and I think this is a really interesting and important quote as well, Um also found on uh, 67. You can tell why I spent with the majority. <laughs> it's a good page. Um, but um, he also says, and I quote, The cry of scripture alone, misunderstood as it is, does not eliminate our traditions. It just makes them hard for us to see. A modern church cannot base everything it does on scripture solitaire, without any reference to the testimonies of the historic church. Mm. So he's saying, yes, we, I have to understand sola scriptura, but we have to also understand that um, our traditions play into that. Right? Yes. Of course, like he was saying before, our traditions are fallible and must be understood with scripture, right? And that is why it is scripture alone, as scripture is our only uh, infallible authority. Yes. But all of these other things are authorities that we have to tie back into scripture, that we have to say, have to understand all of these other authorities throughout the lens of the infallible authority. Yes. And I would say this, this goes along the lines of science as well, right? We can use science as an authority, but we have to understand it cannot contradict with the infallible authority. Mm. Yeah. So great point. Great point. Yeah, that's that's really good. And and you know, just like science, our traditions and creeds and doctrines and systematic theology, they're tools to help us better right. understand the word of God, right? Like science is to help us better understand the creation of God, but we have to start from the word of God, because that's where real wisdom and knowledge come from. Same way right. with our traditions, right? They have to start in scripture to help us better understand scripture and to help us better worship God. So, yeah, great, great point. <clears throat> Excuse me. Great point. 
All right, so, um, yes, so let's move into, uh, we've got about seven minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about the issues with modern translations. So page 59, Doug Wilson said, we must understand that there are two different approaches to textual, textual work. Sorry. One expresses confidence that God has protected his word down through history. This is a faith position, faith in God. The other presupposition says that it is up to man through, uh, through neutral, scholarly, and scientific means to determine what the original text of the Bible is, or, or was, sorry. This is a faith position too, faith in man, end quote. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, one expresses confidence that God has protected his word down through history. With it, it, That's faith in God. Second is that it's up to man. It's through neutral, scholarly, scientific, you know, to determine what the original text was. That's faith in us, not faith in God. Um, but page 59, he kind of added to this, and he, he said, almost all modern translations are taken from an eclectic critical text, or CT. There is no set form of this text, by definition. And so, each translation will accept, now this manuscript is reliable, and now another. This means scholars are not really submitting to the authority of these Alexandrian texts, but are actually using them to overthrow any idea of a settled textual authority, end quote. So what's interesting here and what he kind of harps on more in this chapter that we don't have time to get into today, you should definitely read this chapter. It's really, really important for understanding all of these sorts of the concepts about scripture. But he goes into more detail in the, in the chapter and talks about how there's major issues with modern translations because essentially they're drawing from reservoirs of texts and setting up the, the false premise that we can't really know what the original translation actually said, but we'll try and get as close as we can, or uh, we don't really know at all what it was, but um, hey, here's one possibility of what it could have been. It's like, uh, that sounds horrifying uh, and not true as he's as he goes into more detail in that chapter on. But uh, page 61, he said the acceptance of lower criticism means that the details of the text are set up for discussion uh, or are up for discussion. For the most part, modern translations in the name of getting the idea across are notoriously sloppy about getting what God actually said across. And then he kind of Continued this same thought a little bit more on pages 61 and 62. He said, We are not the first to discuss these issues, and the more refined terminology coming out of the Reformation era can be a great help. We must come to see the authority of Scripture in two senses. The first is authoritas, uh, authoritas rerum, which is the authority of the things of Scripture the substance of the text. We also believe in verbal inspiration, which means we must hold to authoritas verborum, the authority of the words of scripture. The authoritas verborum is an ex external and accidental authority, which always falls away necessarily in the process of translation. No translation, however good, is capable of preserving this authority, end quote. So right there was what I was describing earlier in this episode, talking about the verse. Um, and that's why, excuse me, <clears throat> that's why we go back to, um, we go back to the original Greek and Hebrew, right? We go back to the original language so that we have that same authoritas verborum. We have that authority from 
the verbal language from that actual language, the original language it was written in, carries its own authority with it. Um, all right, three minutes left. I'm going to wrap up really quickly here. I want to talk about more on the church's duty to guard the word. Before I do, Jake, any final thoughts that you want to add before I kind of wrap things up with this last section? Nope, go ahead. Okay. Finish up with your last few quotes. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so page 63, um, Doug Wilson said, So, through a series of complicated circumstances, we have come to the last point, which concerns the handlers or marketers of the text. The church today has no authoritative role in the process whatever. When it comes to the word of God, the modern Christian church fancies herself as a shopper only, a consumer. End quote. He continues also on page 63, and said, a more biblical vision would see the church as guardian or custodian of the sacred text, just as the Jews, the old church, uh, the church of the Old Testament, discharged their obligations with regard to the scriptures. So should the church under the new covenant, end quote. Um, so I thought that was, that was really important. You know, we, we should understand the importance of the church being the ones guarding the word of God. Now, this applies to so many things like the church has relinquished and, and abdicated its role in so many areas of life. I mean, the pastors today, modern pastors, unfortunately, get to just collect a paycheck, not really study much and give a basic limited gospel message on Sunday. There's no evangelism. There is no preaching the meat of the word. There is no teaching all of scripture, all of Christ for all of life. There is no... Uh, guarding the word of God. There's none of that in our modern churches. And consequently, our nation is falling apart because of that. This is what happens when pastors don't do what they're called to do. So I'll wrap up with a quote from page 64. Doug Wilson said, Reformation always begins with the word of God. In our case, this means a recovery of the ecclesiastical text from within the church. First, the historic Protestant church must reassert her prerogatives with regard to the keeping of the oracles of God. Second, the church needs to encourage the saints to dis, uh, discontinue their patronage of those who perpetrate this 4995 leather-bound trumpery. Any copyrighted for-profit version of the Bible with obligatory threats for excessive storage and retrieval should be rejected out of hand. End quote. So, with that, we are at time. Hopefully, this was beneficial. I know there was a lot of heavy stuff in this episode, right? Like, we talked about a lot of heavy details. Um, but hopefully, some of the key takeaways got through. The origins of Scripture, some of the origins of Scripture. The church is obligated, and it's its duty to guard that same word. Um, and then we also talked about some of the issues with modern translations and how they kind of just eh, loosey-goosey. They leave it up to, eh, whatever. We can't really know what they were trying to say, right? <laughs> so all of those issues and more discussed in Chapter 3 of Doug Wilson's book, Mother Kirk. Definitely, definitely check that out. If you haven't purchased a copy already, pause this right now and go to gab.com slash TRD show, buy a copy from our Gab page. Also, hey, while you're there, why don't you, you know, follow our page? <laughs> We'd appreciate it. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. So go to trdshow.net. It's our show website. Check us out there. we got all sorts of cool stuff. Um, Jake, I'm assuming you didn't have anything you wanted to wrap up with. No. Okay. No. I started going into um, outro I'm... mode, and I didn't want to continue before. No. Okay. No. <laughs> all right. Uh, FLF network.com slash 
Knoxville 2022 is where you can go to buy tickets to the conference that we are going to be at in October of this year. Check us out there. You get to meet us in person. How cool would that be? And it's a wonderful, wonderful conference. And guess what? Doug Wilson is going to be there and, you know, reading his book. So you can meet him in person, which would be so cool, right? You had an opportunity earlier this year to meet Gary DeMar while we were going through his book. He was at the conference here in South Dakota in April. Um, but if you didn't get a chance to do that, that's really unfortunate. Now you can make up for that and uh, meet Doug Wilson in person this October in Knoxville, Tennessee. TRDshow.net, just mentioned it a bit earlier. That's the show website. Check it out. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. Sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter. And thanks so much for watching. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on Friday. You don't want to miss our Friday episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord. <laughs>